The following podcast is sponsored by the IFF Financial Corporation in special recognition of Firefighters and Cancer Awareness Month. Welcome to the IAFF Podcast. I'm Noel Lilly. And I'm Kevin Walsh. And we are your guest hosts for this very important Firefighter Cancer Awareness Month. The IFF has teamed up with the Firefighter Cancer Support Network to bring you a ton of new information around prevention, treatment, research, and culture changes around cancer in the fire service. This week, we are focused on the scope of cancer in the fire service. Today, we are speaking with Crystal Woodcock. She is the widow of Lieutenant Woody Woodcock. Hi, thanks for having me. And we are also joined by Captain Sean Griffin, one of Woody's closest friends and co-workers. Hi, thanks for having us on. Woody tragically passed away in June of 2016, and today we're talking about the diagnosis and some of their experiences through this process. Well, Crystal, we'll talk to you first. Uh, We want to talk a little bit about Woody, and uh, tell us about your late husband, Woody, and his diagnosis. Uh, Woody was officially diagnosed in, um, it was around... uh, I want to say October of 2014. Originally, he got the call um, following his annual department physical um, that something was up with his blood work, um, and they instructed him to go see a hematology oncologist. Um, So from that point up until his diagnosis in October, he went through multiple rounds of bone marrow biopsies and different types of testing um, to nail down a diagnosis. And uh, like I said, in October, he was officially diagnosed with chronic myelomonocytic leukemia, or CMML. Um, We went to uh, MD Anderson in Houston to get essentially a second opinion to see if their treatment plan aligned with our physician here in San Antonio's treatment plan. And and it did. So we decided to do um, his treatment here. And they started chemotherapy um, to kind of prep his body the type of leukemia that Woody had. So it wasn't like he could just go through, you know, multiple rounds of chemo or radiation or anything like that. The only cure, cure for his type of leukemia would have been um, a bone marrow transplant. And so they started um, his chemotherapy treatments in January of 2015. And they told us that it could be um, a year to two years to, to find a match a bone marrow match. Um, Neither one of his biological brothers were a match, so they had to go to the National Bone Marrow Registry. And um, so we just prayed hard, hoping that we'd find somebody, because also um, his oncologist had told him that without a bone marrow biopsy, he had a year to two years to live. And his um, doctor, his bone marrow doctor, had told us it could be a year to two years before they even found a match. so we were really hoping that we'd find somebody, and we did. Um, ended up being a perfect, perfect match. He underwent um, his bone marrow transplant June 26, 2015, and um, he had, you know, successful transplant. Was in remission, achieved remission that October, uh, but unfortunately, um, he suffered from what's called graft versus host disease, or GVHD. And what that is, is when the donor cells are really healthy and kind of overly aggressive, they attack the host body as if it's foreign and it can affect different parts of the body. It can affect the eyes, the lungs, the liver, um, the skin. 
and and Woody's uh, it affect him his it affected his skin, and so we had to do different treatments for that. Um, unfortunately, when you undergo a bone marrow transplant, you have to have lethal amounts of chemo. It has to kill off every single cell in your body. Um, so obviously you can, you know, you're, you're, you have no immune system. Your immune system's compromised. Well, the treatment for the, the GVHD compromised his immune system even more. The treatment for the GVHD compromised his, uh, his immune system even more. So he was in the hospital, um, from in, in the year span, he, uh, had 18 admissions and those admissions lasted anywhere from three to 32 days. He was also in um, an inpatient rehab hospital for 21 days uh, because he, um, how do I say it? One of the side effects of the, 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 the treatment, which was high doses of steroids, was steroid myopathy. Um, so it basically ate away all of his muscles. He, he couldn't even sit up in bed on his own. He couldn't, he couldn't stand up. He couldn't walk. He relied on me for everything. So they had him in an inpatient, um, rehabilitation hospital for, for almost a month. And, um, shortly after he was discharged from there, uh, is when he kind of took a turn for the worst and his GVHD flared up to the worst it had ever been. And um, he also contracted um, a fungal pneumonia while he was admitted. Um, so that's when they put him in ICU and uh, was treating his, his, his wounds on his skin. They were treating him like a burn patient because they were so severe. Um, I, it's no exaggeration when I say that uh, he looked like a zombie. It, I mean, his skin just looked horrible, looked like it was melting off of his body. And, um, so he was in ICU for about a week and a half, um, until he started to, um, experience multi-system organ failure. And, uh, he ended up passing away on June 26, 2016, which was exactly a year to the date of his bone marrow transplant. Wow. Our heart goes out to you. That's, yeah, that's just unbelievable. And I can't believe, uh, what you guys have gone through. Our heart goes out to you. Thank you. Yeah, Crystal, that's just heartbreaking. Uh, my sister's husband was a fireman in Colorado, and we lost him recently to cancer as well. So I've I've seen this, although I have no idea what you personally went through, and we're so sorry. And thank you for your bravery and willingness to come and, and share this with us today. It's, it's heavy stuff, but I think it's important. Sean, let me ask you to tell us about your relationship with Woody and how finding out about his diagnosis affected you. Well, Woody and I went way back, way back, you know, we were in the fire department together. We, we came into drill school together, but our relationship started way before then, back in middle school, even, um, we hung out, played football, uh, had some of the greatest friends, uh, ever, uh, to the point that went to college. Uh, he went to UTSA and I went to St. Mary's, but we still hung out just about every weekend. Uh, we, we ended up coining the term or, or using the coined term, uh, brothers of different mothers. It's just that's that's how close we were. We weren't friends. We were, were family, uh, and being in the fire department that brought it even it, even closer in that sense because you have your fire family. But Woody was like my brother already, and so it was it was crazy. Uh, neither one of us were married at the time. 
we're fortunate enough to both have found spouses, but we were roommates for about six years. I was best man in his wedding. He's best man in my wedding. Um, the godfather to his daughter, just, just that tight, close knit bond. And, you know, Woody is, Woody's a, a farm strong. If, if that's something, a term that I can use is he's just one of those guys that we can go out and, um, just tear the town up and the guy would wake up at 5.30 a.m. and go run his three and a half miles every day. Uh, it, it's just it, nothing phased him. Uh, didn't have to hit the, hit the weight room at all, but he's always the uh, strongest guy on the fire truck. Uh, just, just one of those individuals that strong heart, strong body, strong mind. And uh, there was a day that we were at the station and he just didn't look himself. You know, he started dragging a little bit. He didn't go for his run. Uh, he, he started to develop some bruises and we had our annual physical come up and they called him back and let him know, said, Hey, you need to come in and, and we have something to talk about. And, and that's where it, it goes in line with what Crystal told you, the, the big diagnosis. And, uh, he was just in disbelief, but he was positive throughout the whole thing, man. Woody was always looking forward. He was never sad or disheartened about a situation. Uh, he, he talked with his oncologist and his treatment protocols and, Went to MD Anderson and heard the same thing. Said, you know, there is a cure. And he said, well, you know, I can treat this thing and try and stave it off. Or I can go after it full-fledged full and we're going to kick cancer's butt. And that's his attitude in life, man. He just went after it and he was full of life. Oh, he just sounds like an amazing guy. I know the brother from a different mother. And, um, you know, we, we do form those bonds. And I think uh, as, as firemen, it's sometimes tough to see a guy who is farm boy strong like that. Uh, have that initial thing, and it, it it makes you kind of realize your own frailty as well. If somebody like that, who's that strong, could have something like this, um, you know, it all makes us question. And and I think we should because it's so rampant in the in the our careers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and that's where it's once we learned of his diagnosis, you know, how does that affect you and your relationship with not only my best friend and my best man, uh, but I was a captain at the station. He's a lieutenant at the station. He's my right-hand man through, throughout it all. And now my right-hand man's going down. And how does that affect life in the firehouse, man? Everybody taking a step back because, you know, this guy was like Superman. And that, that was one of his favorite cartoon characters is, you know, he's, he's big into comic books and, and things of that nature and DC comics and Marvel. And, uh, but Superman was his, was his thing to the point that he had it tattooed and Crystal can speak to that. Um, but, you know, what are you getting diagnosed hit us all hard because you know you hear about cancer in the fire service but it's not going to happen to us right it's that whole we have that superman mentality we're all alphas and man that stuff happens it doesn't happen here and in, in our department it was Woody was the first one that really struck home with us you know we're 40 years old you're not supposed to have leukemia to the point that you need a bone marrow transplant uh and it it kind of choked us all up and, and me being an academic guy, I, I dove into the research and started looking. I was like, man, there's all kinds of things talking to his oncologist said, when, when have you been around benzene? Um, do you diesel exhaust? Are these things that you're exposed to? Have you been at a, a chemical fire? We kind of talked to the oncologist and, and his, uh, transplant doc. And it's like, you realize that every fire we go into is like toxic soup let alone uh, car fires, trash fires, all the plastics, phones, producing all kinds of chemicals. But, you know, some of the other research that we found was, man, the, when you think you're safe is when you're in the firehouse. Well, 
man, we, we didn't have a climate vent system or a diesel exhaust system. So every time the truck fired up, the trucks were traditional diesel trucks running on Detroit diesels or Cummins diesels, and they're pumping uh, all the diesel byproducts straight into the house from the bay every time you kicked it on. So those are the things that we started to, to recognize as, as dangers uh, being in the house, not just when you anticipate running into the toxic soup of a structure fire or a car fire. Sean, did it change your outlook on being a firefighter? Did anything change? I know that without knowing you, I know you feel that that career is a calling and that it's something that you do for a myriad of reasons, the brotherhood being one of them, service to the public being another, but did it change how you felt about that on a daily basis going through this? So what it changed, it didn't change the desire and the calling to serve our fellow man. That That's a, a calling that's beyond this, but it changed how we serve. And it also drove me to, quote, serve the servants. Uh, and in doing that, it's, man, when I came in the department 25 years ago, I was with, my, my mentors were leather lungs. You didn't wear a BA, you went in and you, you put water on fire and you coughed smoke and snot for three to four or five days. You, it wasn't uncommon to, to cough up a car fire, you know, a week later. Uh, those are the things that we did. And that was the culture that was, that, that was present at the time. But when Woody got his diagnosis and getting in the research, man, we started seeing that, man, the way we're doing things isn't the right way to do them. There are so many different things. We have SCBAs need to be on air all the time. Some of the things that a progressive department does is you have a cancer initiative program. So we get a second set of bunker gear. You decon after a fire. You have fire wipes to wipe uh, all your pulse points because you're absorbing the chemicals. Uh, as you increase 10 degrees, you're increasing your, your absorption rate just exponentially. And your gear, although designed to protect you, is also just holding all that in. Uh, we, as a department, uh, I would expect a department to work towards having that second set of gear to use barrier hoods, not just a single or, or double ply Nomex hood, but have a barrier hood that prevents some of those toxic soup chemicals from just coming in and hitting, hitting the neck. Um, when you're deconning at the station, those are the things that, you know, we're not going to change the fact that we're still going to risk our lives. That's what we signed up for to serve. And if there's a life to be saved, that's, we're going to go after it. We're going to get it interior firefighting, you know, uh, but we've also learned that some of that stuff is the, the hotter it is, it's the exponential uh, fire growth. The tactics are changing, you know, uh, cooling smoke. Uh, we have quick hit fires where you, you darken it down. All the NIST studies show that you, you hit a full, fully involved fire in a room. You, sh you change the tenability in that building. But the tenability isn't just for victims that are in the fire. That's for the firefighters that are gaining entry in there, too. Your gear isn't exposed to 1,200 degrees. It's exposed to 400 degrees. And so those are the, the, the potential for absorption of this toxic environment uh, is, are the things that we're looking in, in the fire service that changed in my perspective is we're not going to change what we do or why we do it, but we're going to change the how we do the things that we do. Well said. And Chris, I'd love to talk to you about how how that impacted you, that diagnosis and your family originally. And I know 
for us, like Noel, he's so much more than just a coworker. And like Sean was saying that, you know, it, these bonds, they run so deep because we go through so much together at work. And uh, I wanted to see what kind of support you got from people like Sean or from the department or any other members uh, while you're going through those initial phases. You know, Woody was extremely involved with his department. You know, not, I, I tell people all the time that, you know, the San Antonio Fire Department, that wasn't just his job. That wasn't his career. That was his passion. You know, and the guys spend, they say it all the time. We spend a third of our lives together. Of course, we're going to, you know, it's like family here. But Woody really embraced that. You know, he was involved with, you know, the MDA um, softball tournaments up in Maryland and the and the firefighter Olympics and, and running fishing tournaments for the for the fire department. And so he was really involved. This, this truly was a, a brotherhood to him. And um, so <laughs> I can't help but think about when Woody and I were getting married, uh, you know, he was going, oh, this guy's coming, this guy's coming. I go, why are you inviting all these firemen? These are just guys you work with. They're just guys you work with. And Woody goes, honey, you don't, you don't understand. This is my family. I'm like, no, I, I get it. But I mean, like, we're paying so many per person. I mean, really, you know, like, we're, these are a lot of people that we're inviting. And Sean was actually the one to tell me, you know what, Crystal? I hope you never have to understand this one day. But if something ever happened to him, you would have people showing up at your door that you never knew existed. And that, that couldn't have been further from the truth. Um, you know, once word started getting around that, that things were happening, you know, he was getting testing done. We hadn't gotten official word yet. It, it had already begun. The guys, you know, they were already, the wheels were turning on. What can we do to help the family? Um, our daughter at the time was six years old. Um, when Woody got diagnosed and, and, you know, making sure that she was taken care of and, and, and her mind was occupied, um, you know, in the midst of, of all the chaos, uh, I really cannot even begin to explain in words how much, um, the, his comrades did for us, you know, the brotherhood did for us, you know, as far as, you know, organizing fundraisers, um, you know, come, just coming to the hospital to visit him, um, coming to the clinic when he was getting blood transfusions or plate transfusions, um, even just to give me a break, you know, coming by the house just because coming by the house to give me a break, because when he first came home from having his transplant, the rules were he couldn't be left alone for more than an hour total each day. And, we were, so we were both on house arrest, you know, the only places we could go were to the bone marrow clinic and back home. And, um, it, it, it was incredible to, to watch so many people that like Sean said, people I didn't even know existed show up on our doorstep and, and that were willing to, to bend over backwards and sacrifice time from their families, you know, and their livelihoods and their extra, extra time to, to help us. And, and, I'm, I'm very, very, very blessed. Peyton and I both, my daughter, daughter, we're very blessed to, to have our fire family. You know, a lot of people don't, don't have that when they lose a loved one. And here we are five and a half years later after he passed away. And, and we still have the guys, you know, like Sean, that he's also my, my daughter or me and Woody's daughter or, or his, uh, he's her uh, godfather. And, you know, he'll come pick her up and take her to, go-karts or have pizza or whatever, you know, but he doesn't do that just because 
of, of Woody. He does that because he loves us. And the same goes for the rest of the fire department. It truly is a family. Um, Sean and Woody both did an extraordinary job when they were at the same fire station together before he got sick. Um, like Sean mentioned, when, when he was officer of, of the truck and Woody was officer of the engine, um, to really make it a firehouse, not just a fire station, you know, having family days up there, the wives getting to know each other, the kids getting to know each other so that they could grow up together. And so when something happens, you're that much more inclined to jump in and say, I'm here for you, you know, and, and, and we received nothing short of that. It was, it was, it was humbling, truly. We've seen all of that stuff in our own department. And I just want to reiterate those points that you just made that showing up, doing something as simple as bringing food or just being there in the hospital, those, those things that may not seem very consequential make a big impact in that moment because you're really showing that you do care about these people. And I really loved what you said toward the end there that part of that culture comes from being intentional about building that prior to something happening. And hopefully, hopefully the guys listening, you know, they get through their career, they don't have to deal with this, but the reality is that something will happen. And so be intentional about that beforehand, build that culture, do those things, have the families over. I mean, that stuff is great. And it's an amazing part of our tradition as firemen. And we got to hold on to that and continue to foster that. I really, I really love that you said that. Sean, how did Woody's diagnosis affect him? at work or just as a man, as you watched him as a friend go through that? Well, it worked, you know, like I said, we, he went from being the strongest man in the firehouse to, to just almost just becoming an, an observer. And when his physical strength left him, you know, we had some really hard discussions about, you know, I, he loved the fire department and taking that away from him was going to do more to his detriment than the cancer was. It, it would kill his spirit. So, we talked about him taking his knowledge and abilities and his passion and utilizing that at our, our fire training academy. Uh, and, and so he, he, he wrestled with that for a while. Uh, he just really wanted to stay in the firehouse, but there came a time where he just physically couldn't do the job anymore. We have a, a very demanding job. Uh, it's hard on our bodies as, as we all know. And what he finally came to the conclusion that uh, the, the training academy was, the way he can continue to give back, the way he can, and that's where I said it earlier, you know, we did it, we joined the fire service to serve the public, right? And this, this soul searching that took place, what he found solace in the fact that he could serve the servants, he could prepare the next generation, not just with uh, being cancer aware, because that was going to be obvious, good because he was out there, they're going to wonder what, what kind of condition drove him to the fire academy. Uh, but, you know, the knowledge, skills, and abilities that he had were, were just, you know, phenomenal. Uh, the guy climbed ladders like a, a, a squirrel it, and it being 260 pounds, you see him go up a ladder. You, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, and, and you handle a two and a half inch line with one hand. He's just, a, like I said, he's just farm strong. And to, to, for him to have the ability, uh, our department gave him that ability to move from one, from active, uh, 24 hour shift work to, uh, going to a 40 hour work week at an alternate duty training assignment was a, was a blessing in disguise. To me too, that just speaks volumes of Woody's character. I mean, obviously I've never met him, but I know what it means to a lot of guys when they do have to, even if it's just retiring, when they have to walk away from this career, it's very difficult 
to go from doing that on a daily basis to doing whatever else life has after that. And the fact that he was willing to do that and to invest in the guys that were coming on and learning the job, I think is amazing. And we need, we need people like that, that are willing to say, you know, my time for that was, was then, and now I'm going to do this other thing, but I'm going to do it with all my heart and do my best. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, throughout this whole process, when he, when he got diagnosed and, and, and continued to, to fight, he had a phrase that, you know, Crystal's going to kind of probably smirk and, and laugh when she hears it, but Woody would say, God's not done with me. Hmm. And it, we're here today, six years later, talking because God's not done with Woody. You know, he's hung up the, hung up the coat, didn't retire, went to the fire academy, and we're still uh, using Woody and his story to teach the next generation the how to serve and the, the glories that, that can be uh, obtained, but also the precautions that need to be taken in the meantime. And Crystal, from a, from, from a family member's perspective, um, what, was there anything that would have made Woody's diagnosis and treatment easier for you and Peyton? You know, that, that's hard to say because, um, like I said, we had so much support, um, especially from our, from, from our fire family. Um, you know, I think that the thing that we would have probably found easier is if um, there were some kind of steps lined out for us when, when you got that call, right? And, and Woody and I even talked about trying to put something together um, as common as occupational cancer is in the fire service to put something together, you know, for our department, let's just say, you know, there's, there's a couple of, of cancer treatment centers here in town um, to go to those cancer treatment centers and find, okay, this doctor specializes in thyroid cancer and prostate cancer and leukemia, blood cancers, whatever, and have a list of physicians, because that's one of the things that we dealt with when we got the call saying, there's something up with your blood work. You need to go see a hematology oncologist. It's like, well, who do we go to? You know, and, and we actually went, we, we went to one doctor, um, that, that just wasn't, wasn't expediting things the way I felt that they should be, they should be expedited. Um, and so, you know, I was calling around to friends that are medical professionals asking them, you know, what are your opinions on, on hematology oncologists that we could go see? And so getting a list of names and having to filter through and then call them and see, you know, if, but if we had a list of doctors saying, okay, let's go to this, this, this resource book, right. That we've been provided, you know, by whomever, you know, if it's, if it's a, the department or, or some kind of leadership or whatever, you know, or a, a committee even to say, okay, let's go to this booklet. Okay. These are, these are three really great hematology oncologists. Let's, let's see who we can get in with and get the ball rolling. Right. Um, I don't really know what else. I mean, it, more so it was just kind of like the, the shock of it. I, I can't really speak to, um, you know, on the, on the workman comp end on how quickly, you know, I know, you know, that, that when it comes to the presumptive legislation, right. In each state that certain things that there's, there it needs to be done in a timely manner, right. You have so many days or months or years or whatever to complete paperwork or, um, so I can't speak as far as I know, I know Woody did do the paperwork, you know, put in for the work comp that got denied. Um, I don't know as far as on 
the department and on, on, on an employee's and how things can make be made easier in that aspect. But I can speak to how um, things could be maybe supported better from um, a firefighter who is in the midst of, um, you know, fighting workman's comp for, for, for benefits, for coverage, um, or even as a, as a widow that has, you know, I, I went through a, a lengthy legal battle um, because his workman's comp was ten- denied. And it was a lot. It was a lot. And luckily, um, I had Sean's help and, and another um, firefighter. Um, she was a captain, and, and I had her help as well um, that was able to, to help me pull together the research and whatnot um, and build a case. Um, but if we had a little bit more help from leadership that, you know, could potentially help us network and learn more and not where we didn't have to drag that on for so long, that would have been great too. Um, you know, I've talked to a couple, I keep in touch with the other widows, whether it's from cancer or, or, you know, lost from a structure fire or what else. And, and everybody's kind of said the same thing. And in our department, um, we felt an overwhelming amount of support. And honestly, just having that, just having that presence, even if it's a text from somebody or a call from, from somebody saying, hey, just checking in on you. You know, I've had to talk to them about, you know, some of them will say, we feel forgotten. You know, the fire department's forgotten about us. And I've told them, well, no, I mean, a lot of these guys, first of all, they're guys. Second of all, <laughs> you, you have to reach out to them. You have to let them know, hey, I'm in, a, I'm in a hard spot or I need help or I just need a break. You know, when you've got multiple kids and multiple activities, you just need a break. Those guys will be there that day, like as soon as you hang up the phone. But you just got to ask for it, you know, but the, on, on my end, I'd have to say, I, I mean, we're, we're truly humbled from as far as the Woody's fellow comrades and the boots on the ground. We couldn't have asked for more. Um, but from the beginning aspect, I would say some, some sort of outline of resources would have been something that would have been really helpful to us. And I, I'll touch on that just a little bit, too, if uh, you give me a chance. It's Woody's diagnosis like we talked about earlier hit our department at a time where we had like zero uh points to to launch from we had the resources uh but they hadn't been established we had a family assistance with our union uh local 624 but we hadn't really had to utilize any of that for a long-term cancer battle the guys who've been diagnosed in the past it was the retirees or it was somebody who did a a quick hit and fast hit and they were enjoyed their privacy and they didn't reach out. Uh, We didn't have the presumptive healthcare law in Texas. It wasn't there. So we didn't know the policies and procedures and timelines to follow. And these are some of the things that we learned throughout the way, uh, fundraising, family assistance, timelines, paperwork. uh, Those are the things that we found a need and Woody's closest friends, we formed a foundation because of that. We have a, a nonprofit, Responders First Foundation, and that's what we collect the resources. We have a database of, of doctors to go see. People who have who've had that diagnosis, they, they reach out to us and they tell us, you know, recommendations on physicians, treatment protocols, and, and we kind of 
build that, that database of, of physicians, timelines that need to be met, resources that are available to include the IFS Cancer Support Network. You know, those are the, these are all the things that we didn't even know existed. And in San Antonio, we just, you know, we always did the, hey, somebody's sick or hurt. Hey, we're going to have a, we're going to do a barbecue fundraiser plate. Well, you know, that's fine and dandy for the short term, but that doesn't help your long-term prognosis. And, and cancer is not a, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? So we had to develop uh, protocols and, and just put it, put, put a foundation in place to, to supplement both the department and, and the local. And so that we're there to support the, the wives or husbands and kids of families that get stricken by cancer. Yeah, let me issue a couple quick challenges based on what you guys are talking about. Number one, if you work for a department and you're not sure if these... By cancer. Yeah, let me issue a couple quick challenges based on what you guys are talking about. Number one, if you work for a department and you're not sure if these things are in place where there is a, a place to go with all these resources, find out. And if there isn't one, start working on it. And the Firefighter Cancer Support Network is a great place to start. We do know some people in our department that have utilized that resource and walked through that with them, and it was incredibly helpful. Um, and then beyond that, just like Crystal said, we are, a lot of us, men, and we don't always see the need or realize that there's a need there. But I would challenge you guys, if you are aware of something going on with one of your brothers or sisters' families, don't wait to find out if there is a need, just show up. The worst thing that could happen is they could tell you they don't need anything. Make a phone call, send a text, find out and reach out because the people that are walking through the cancer battle or whatever else it may be, they may not always be able or even willing to reach out for help. And we can do a better with Woody and Crystal and everybody else on your department. In a perfect world, what should other departments do what are some key things they could do or execute when they get confronted with something like this? So in, in a perfect world, we'll talk about, you know, our, our industry and best practices. Our best practices are one to be cognizant of the exposures that take place, uh, have a cancer initiative in the department. I know that we, in our culture, man, any kind of change is difficult. We have this big ship in this tiny little rudder, you know, and we, we takes forever to get some change, but uh, clean cabs, I, there's there's the debate in many departments on clean cabs on whether or not the SCBA should be riding in the trucks. Those are those are the things that we need to tackle. Each department needs to, to figure out a way to minimize the risk from those BAs if they're in the cabs. Have a second set of gear. Have a second hood. Decon after a fire. That includes getting wet decon. You know, after it, us truck guys, you know, we don't know what a hose is for, right? Uh, but other than when the engine squirts us, after the fireman, take the red line and and get wet down so you're not off gassing and breathing that stuff in. Go home, take a shower, change your clothes. And, and as far as physicals, uh, there's some bit debate in, uh, about whether or not the department should offer physical. If you don't get a departmental physical annually. I know as a man, if I'm not sick, I don't want to go to the doctor. Go to the doctor annually. Get yourself checked out. Have your blood work done. Cultural change is hard, but we live and do a dangerous job in a dangerous time where everything is made of petrochemicals and plastics and foams. Uh, the, game, the, the terms of the game have changed, 
and we need to change with it. And, and, and then that it's, it's prevention. And those are the big things, uh, as a, as a department, having a, a workers comp or a cancer advocate, have a cancer initiative that is there to, to help having family assistance for the members with your local unions, uh, that step up and, and get to the plate, look to the IAFF with the cancer support network. We have all of these resources that are developing and can provide so much assistance to the families and members that weren't there just five years ago. So look, look to the future, learn from the past and, and be your brother's keeper. Could I add something? Absolutely. Yes. You know, when Woody was sick, he, he talked often about, um, you know, when he got better, this is what he wanted to do. I want to talk to these guys about the changes that they need to make. And, you know, one of the things he said is if I would have known, you know, 14 years ago, what, what I know now, yeah, I would have done it, you know? And, and I look back and, and think, you know, there are a lot of guys in the department, gals too, that may not be married, may not want to get married, maybe enjoying the, the bachelor or bachelorette life. Right. And they're not, they're thinking, they're just thinking about themselves. Um, but it's not always just about yourself. I just wanted to say that, you know, it, it's hard to stay focused when, when you're going to work and they, and they, and they have these rules set out for you. Right. And it's, it's new and it's different. You, and you might think that it's pointless and it's mindless. Um, but you may not want to do it for yourself, but just think about your families. Think about your kids. Think about your fellow brotherhood. And, uh, you know, sometimes it, sometimes there's no way around it, but there, these preventative measures are there for a reason. I lost my best friend. I lost my brother. Crystal lost her husband. Peyton lost her father. And our lesson learned here is cancer is part of the fire service. There's legislation that's been developed. We, you know, are trying 10 ounces of prevention to, to have that pound of cure, but cancer is a, is a horrible disease. It wreaks havoc on a family. Um, and if we can prevent one firefighter out there by having this conversation, open and honest, uh, sharing our emotions, uh, sharing our fears, that if we can stop one firefighter from getting cancer, that's what Woody was saying when he said, God's not done with me. Then it's not, it's not going to be a quick fix, right? It's, it's not going to be just because you're cleaning your gear and having second sets of hoods and exhaust ventilation systems and whatnot, that all of a sudden cancer is going to go away. You know, it's going to take time, but it's all about um, starting new habits and that more than anything, I just, you know, and I know Woody would say the same thing, you know, if, if he knew that, uh, that he'd never walk his daughter down the aisle, he would have made those changes easily. And I just <clears throat> want people to think about that. And try not to think about just themselves, but think about the ones that love you too. Amen. Well said, Crystal. Thank you so much for being willing to share that. Absolutely. And Chris, I just want to say thank you for coming on and talking about your experience and talking about Woody. Um, I think you're amazing. And I, I, and I, I love that, uh, you know, I love to hear these stories about 
Captain Sean here. You know, you're the type of man that we would love to work with. We're both on a truck as well, and and that uh, that culture is something that we 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 strive to to create. And it comes from men like you, and to create that culture to show uh, younger firefighters what it's like to to go through something like this and what it looks like to support a family like Crystal and Peyton, and and how you can make those changes going forward. So we just thank you so much for your time today and coming on and sharing all those memories. Thank you for having me. Really, it, it like Sean had mentioned before, God's not done with Woody. And uh, any opportunity that we have to tell his story and, and hopefully, you know, make an improvement or save another life, um, that's, it's worth it. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity to, to come out today and, and just speak to Woody's historical uh, diagnosis, treatment, and what it has done to the San Antonio Fire Department and Local 624 and how we view cancer and, and, and prevention is key. Well said, Sean. We agree with all of that. This is uh, incredibly impactful to us. I, I got a lot out of it, and I, I know that many in our community will do the same for both you and Sean coming on and talking about this, so we really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Prevention is key, brothers. Amen. This program has been sponsored by the IAFF Financial Corporation. For more information on who we are and what services are available to members, including our supplemental cancer benefits, visit our website at iff-fc.com.